Welcome to the hashtag Faring Pod. At Faring, people come first. This is Zoya Mabuto Mukuditwa, and this morning I am joined by CEO of Prostate Cancer Foundation SA, Andrew Oberholza, because in this episode we are going to be discussing prostate cancer. So maybe to kickstart right away, Andrew, a warm welcome to you. Thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, you know, just to kick it off, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your role as CEO of Prostate Cancer Foundation. What does it all entail? Azoya, and thanks very much for having us. And thanks to Ferring for hosting this as well. I think just always great to be able to talk about men's health issues. So the Prostate Cancer Foundation is a non-profit organization. Uh, I have a background in men's health, uh, originally coming out of pharmaceutical industry, uh, helping to found the Southern African Sexual Health Association and being involved with the launch of the first oral treatment for erectile dysfunction. Because of that background, I became involved with the foundation about eight years ago. It's been a great privilege to work with Prostate Cancer Foundation. We're an organization, a nonprofit organization that involves the healthcare professionals that diagnose and treat prostate cancer. It's not just doctors that are involved. Mm. There's also uh, physios, sexologists, psychologists involved. And then we have uh, an opportunity for patients to get involved through our patient affairs board. So men who have been affected by prostate cancer get involved in terms of educating other men and also supporting other men along their journey when they are diagnosed as well. And then we also involve the companies that have diagnostics and treatments for prostate cancer as well. So we involve all the, the role players that are involved in prostate cancer in our Prostate Cancer Foundation. Okay, so thanks for that. I mean, just listening to that, uh, the first thing is you shared that there are sort of various uh, role players or stakeholders involved. Uh, These are things that I I typically would not have known as somebody who's outside of that field and that space. But what I also appreciate about what you've shared is the importance of the education. So education uh, awareness initiatives uh, where we really help people to understand what is prostate cancer, uh, you know, who does it affect, etc. And I'm looking to engage a little bit around that. But I also loved what you said about support where men support each other, men supporting men. And I think we see very little of this. So maybe let's talk a little bit about uh, your experiences working in an area that typically tends to be quite taboo. It's a subject that I think is quite taboo amongst men. And I imagine particularly within an African context, um, it becomes a little bit more sort of heightened. So, so take me through, uh, you know, what have the experiences been before we get into what is prostate cancer, etc. Take me through kind of what are the experiences working in a field where you're dealing with a topic that tends to be quite taboo? So I think the first challenge that we have is that men just generally are not as good as women in terms of monitoring their health, going for their checkups. They tend to wait until things break. Uh, that's a major problem when it comes to many of the silent diseases, whether it's high blood pressure, whether it's prostate cancer, where there's no symptoms in the early stages. So if men aren't going for those checkups, they're not going to be aware that there is a problem there. And there's a kind of philosophy amongst men that cowboys don't cry, we, we, we shouldn't have these problems, we must be strong. So I think the, the problem kind of starts with that mindset, but it's more than that. When you get now to sexual health issues, and essentially, remember the prostate is part of our internal sex organs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same with erectile dysfunction. These are just really taboo subjects that, that men don't like to talk about, that they feel uncomfortable with. And that's a difficulty for us because we need openness, we need these conversations 
conditions to be normalized um, mm. because so many men are affected. So a big part of our job is really to raise awareness. And mm. if we use the analogy of breast cancer, we will know there's so much uh, education and awareness around breast cancer. And really, um, we've got to try and reach that same level when it comes to prostate cancer, where men actually talk about this condition. When guys are diagnosed with the condition, they're, they're able to tell um, their friends. And, and we see this with celebrities as well, mm. finding it very difficult to get celebrities who have been affected by prostate cancer to actually get onto, uh, onto a national platform mm. and share their experiences. We've been fortunate that we, we had Desmond Tutu as our patron. Of course. Um, and he's a prost- he was a prostate cancer survivor, so he was quite open about his condition. And they can do so much uh, good, these celebrities, because mm. people listen to them sometimes more than they'll listen to our medical specialists. 100%, the influences they are. <laughs> so, so I think for me, you know, this is, this is the intent of this podcast. It is that raising of awareness and perhaps to go straight into what is prostate cancer and what are the causes? So the prostate is part of a man's internal sex organs. The prostate and the seminal vesicles make up most of uh, the seminal fluid or the ejaculate. Only sperm only actually makes up about 2% of that. So the job of the, the fluid that's made by the prostate, which is a gland and the seminal vesicles, is to generate fluid. And this fluid helps to liquefy the sperm and nourish the sperm so that the sperm can kind of do their jobs. So that's what the prostate gland's function is. It's a little bit inconveniently situated within the body because it's right underneath the bladder and the tube that, that carries urine through from the bladder through to the, uh, to the end of the penis goes right through the prostate. So now you can imagine any problems with prostate becoming enlarged or becoming cancerous is going to affect the flow of urine. It's also right um, in front of the rectum. Um, that's why me- the doctor is able to do what we call the finger and actually feel the prostate uh, when they put a finger up the rectum. So as I say, a little bit of a challenge. It's also got nerve bundles surrounding it. Mm. These are the same nerves that give men the erections. So often prostate cancer treatments will, will damage these nerves or the cancer will spread to these nerves and erectile dysfunction will be a challenge uh, for men to deal with after treatments um, because they've had to uh, had damage to the nerves or the nerves have had to be removed. Mm. So that's the prostate and where it is. Um, mm. It's an important, really important gland in the body uh, and obviously can be affected. And of course, the second part of the question is, what are some of the causes of prostate cancer? At this point, we don't really know Mm. exactly what the causes are. We know there's certain risk factors, Mm. um, but unlike many other cancers, we don't have specific issues that are, that are a problem. We do know that as men get older, they're more likely to get prostate cancer. Another risk factor is, is actually race. So black guys will have about a 60% higher risk for prostate cancer than white guys. They're also about 2.5 times more likely to die from prostate cancer um, than their white counterparts, which is a, a real challenge because they are tend to get this very aggressive uh, prostate cancer and at a younger age. Mm. Um, so that's, that's also um, a big challenge. And then obviously a family history of breast or prostate cancer also makes men more likely to get prostate cancer. So we don't know the exact cause. We, there's some evidence that there are dietary factors having a diet that's very rich in uh, saturated fats, uh, red meat uh, might might be linked, but we don't have strong evidence for that. There's some evidence of obesity, um, 
being a risk factor as well. Um, so all the things, the healthy things that we mm. encourage men to do, um, maintaining a healthy body weight, being physically active, um, eating, uh, uh, making good healthy food choices can actually probably help a lot. And definitely if you are diagnosed with prostate cancer, they aren't going to help. So we still encourage men to, to do those things. And also, of course, not smoking as well, because smoking is linked with so many other cancers. It, it seems to also have, play a role in, mm. in, in causing prostate cancer. I mean, it's interesting. I'm thinking two things. And the first is that, you know, could could this uh, lack of, of substantive or kind of, uh, you know, very concrete knowledge around what the causes are be contributing to the taboo somewhat? Uh, I'm wondering that. That's the first thing. The second thing I'm thinking is, could it also be that perhaps prostate cancer has not been prioritized as much as the other cancers that we're not able to have the substantive research around what the causes are? I think there's a number of, of, of different factors at play here. Mm. Um, I think people don't realize how common prostate cancer is. Data is actually showing that by 2030, it will be the most common mm. uh, cancer in, in South Africa. So as men live longer, we're going to see much higher rates of prostate cancer. Uh, if we look at how many men are affected by prostate cancer, we don't have good South African data. But based on the data from the UK and the US, we know that it'll be about one in eight white guys that get prostate cancer in their lifetime. Mm. But if we look at black guys, it's ar- around one in four to one in six black guys. So a lot of men are going to be uh, are affected and, and even more are going to be affected by prostate cancer. And it's also it's going to be the leading cause of death from cancers sure. uh, as well. So I, I think um, we have to wake up to the reality that prostate cancer um, mm. is, is actually a real problem and it's going to be a bigger problem. I think men's health has generally been neglected, particularly within um, the state sector. Mm. Uh, we don't have as many urologists. So urologists are our, our men's health specialists, if you if you like. They deal with the men's reproductive system and mm. the uh, urine system, obviously, of both sexes. But they're the doctors who actually initially in, in diagnose prostate cancer there's not enough of those urologists around the country um, so hopefully more will get trained in future mm. um, and access for men to screening for prostate cancer is a challenge and then access to treatments in the um, state sector is also a challenge yeah so I think then the next sort of question that that links quite nicely to what we've spoken about, sort of the causes, but most importantly, the fact that this is actually going to be one of the leading uh, causes of death amongst the cancers for men is what are the common symptoms um, of prostate cancer? What are we what are we saying, you know, men should look out for or, or when they, when should they become concerned? So the biggest challenge we have is that is actually usually no symptoms in the early stages and the early stage is the only stage uh, that we can actually cure this cancer if we wait until there's symptoms it generally means that this cancer is actually spread Um, and if it's spread it may have spread too far it might not be curable anymore so the that real really the take-home message there is we need to diagnose this cancer in the early stages so if there are symptoms remember i described where the prostate is situated we'll often have what's called urinary symptoms that means it's difficult for a man to pee um, or he might have a sudden urgent need to to go and uh, urinate um, we call that urinary urgency. Mm. Um, he might be his flow might be affected, so that strong stream when guys could pee right over the fence um, doesn't <laughs> happen anymore. Uh, they get a dribble, <laughs> dribble, dribble um, kind of effect. They battle to start urinating, and, mm. and there's a bit of leaking afterwards. So those are common uh, symptoms, but they're also symptoms of an enlarged prostate often. So, okay. so don't necessarily panic if you have those. Um, and then if that 
cancers actually spread further. Uh, it can cause pain um, within the pelvic area. You can get swollen lymph nodes. It tends to spread first to bone. Mm. So a lot of guys, if they're not aware and the cancer started to spread, will come in with actual bone pain in the pelvis um, and the lower spine. And in some cases, we actually see guys coming in with paralysis because um, you, you actually get a situation where um, the spinal cord is compressed mm. um, because uh, it affects also the the spinal bones that's that's you get fractures in the spine so guys will come in and they're actually lost sensation in their lower limbs um, and we do actually see this this happening so we really don't want you to come in with advanced prostate cancer that's at that stage that's why screening is so important and of course we're saying that the screening happens on a regular basis help me to understand that because on the one hand you're saying that the symptoms don't show up in the early stages of the cancer which which then suggests to me that most patients uh, or most uh, people who suffer uh, from prostate cancer would typically get the diagnosis at a later stage when they start to see some of the symptoms show up so one of the messages we're sending out there um, you know to the everyday guy to somebody who's kind of just going about their daily life are we saying go and get screened every so often Absolutely. So screening is really essential if we're going to diagnose this prostate cancer in the early stages. So our screening guidelines are for black guys that they should start screening from about the age of 40. Also, anyone with a history of breast or prostate cancer in a first-degree relative. So that's if you've got fathers or brothers uh, that have had uh, prostate cancer. If you've got a daughter mm. um, that's had breast cancer or a mother that's had breast cancer, you also need to start screening from the age of 40. And then any guys who have had lower urinary tract problems in the past, you should also start screening at 40. And then for all other ethnic groups, we recommend screening from the age of 45. Okay. So those are the ages that really men ideally should start screening from. And then once you start screening, you need to go regularly. So your doctor or your healthcare professional might tell you to come back in a year. Uh, we like the idea of annual screening because when men should get into the habit of going for an annual health risk assessment, they mm. should be doing a checkup um, on all their, their uh, cardiovascular risks as well, having their cholesterol checked, uh, having their blood pressure checked, um, having all of those other checks and just do it at the same time. It's, mm. it's part of the, you can do it as part of the blood test. Okay, thank you. Um, I mean, I'm curious now to find out, you, you, you talk about screening sort of from about age 40 upwards. And I suppose my question is, is this informed by research that tells us that, you know, men would get, um, you know, diagnosed with prostate cancer at a particular age? So as men get older, they're more likely to get prostate cancer. So generally, this starts affecting guys mostly from the age of 50, and then it kind of peaks at around the age of 70 to 74. Um, and most prostate cancers, about three quarters will happen to men over the age of 65. However, having said that, we do see uh, quite a lot of black guys in there getting prostate cancer in their 40s. Mm. Um, remember I said they tend to get prostate cancer at a younger age and a more aggressive type of prostate cancer. That's why we recommend uh, screening from the age of 40. We don't want to miss those guys mm. because if it's an aggressive cancer, um, it can spread quite rapidly and then it means we've, we've missed the opportunity to diagnose early and to have the chance to actually cure the cancer. I think the point you've made is critical, this, this point around how we're seeing a lot more um, sort of guys who are in the 40 age group uh, also, you know, is it to suffer from this type of cancer? So the reason I say that is because I'm sitting here and I must be honest with you, I have typically always associated prostate cancer with like really old wrinkled men. 
I've never seen it as a cancer that typically affects somebody who is 40 and who, in my view, is, is, is quite young. They're fairly young at, at 40 years old. And so what are some of the stereotypes that you have come across as they relate to prostate cancer? So there is that perception that it can only affect you when you're much older, and that means men will often put off screening or testing until they are much older mm. um, so we need to change that mindset and just get guys into the into the habit of screening from a younger age um, so that we don't miss those guys that do get prostate cancer uh, at the younger ages and um, just because you're healthy so a lot of guys have the perception ah oh, but I'm exercising regularly I'm eating healthy so it's not gonna it's not gonna affect me and and that's that's not correct. Um, mm. Remember, I said we're not sure what causes this prostate cancer. So even if you're super fit and you, you're eating the right things, um, you still need to go for screening because you can still get prostate cancer. And let's rather start screening at the younger ages to make sure that we can pick it up in the early stages. And Andrew, have we had incidences where we have diagnosed a younger patient with quite an advanced stage of prostate cancer? And if so, I'm curious about does it show up differently based on how old the person is? In other words, you know, would the prostate cancer differ in younger, middle-aged and older men? So unfortunately, in many cases, when the younger guys do get prostate cancer, it is the more uh, aggressive, fast-growing type of prostate cancer. In most prostate cancers, it's not a, a fast-growing cancer. Mm. Um, and that's that's a good thing because it gives men time. And I always say when, when guys phone me and they've just been diagnosed with prostate cancer, let's breathe deeply. Um, let's just uh, take a bit of time to make decisions in, in informing yourself uh, what the different options are uh, in, in terms of tr treatments and things. A lot of prostate cancers will be what we call indolent uh, prostate cancers. That means they're unlikely to ever grow more and become a problem. Mm. Um, so in those cases, um, one of the treatment options is what we call active surveillance. So if it's a, we, even if prostate cancer is diagnosed in the early stages, we still do what we call risk strat stratification. So mm. we, we look at the, the different factors and we decide, is this a low risk, intermediate risk or a high risk type of prostate cancer based on the different features? And mm. I, we'll talk about those a little bit later. And if it's a low risk cancer, we encourage men to, to not have what we call active treatment, but we'll do what we call active surveillance. We'll monitor to mm. see if the cancer progressive and does require treatment because all the treatments have side effects. So we want, don't want to give guys unnecessary side effects when we can just monitor it and this cancer might actually never become a problem. The problem is the mindset of many is I've got this cancer in my body, I must get it out. Sure. Um, but as I said, a lot of cancers, if they're diagnosed very early, we just need to keep an eye on them. We don't have to go in and actively treat uh, and monitor them, and they may never become a problem. Mm. And I think we've heard that slogan repeatedly, right, about how early detection saves lives. And I think that's the breast cancer or all cancers, but I know early detection saves lives. It almost kind of is like a sing-song in my head. So, so what I want to talk about is the screening, right? We've spoken about it a little bit. I want to get into detail, you know, for somebody who's sitting there going, okay, I'm hearing, you know, being encouraged to, to go and to get my screening done on a regular basis, etc. What's involved there? So what, what does it look like when I decide I'm going to go and get myself screened? Okay, so it's a very simple blood test. Um, it's called a prostate-specific antigen test. This is a protein that's generated by the prostate, and in most cases it's, it stays within the prostate. But if the cells are disturbed either because of enlargement or an infection uh, or inflammation or cancer, 
then more of this protein leaks into the blood. So we can check the levels of, of prostate-specific antigen, or PSA as we call it, by doing a simple blood test. There's just a couple of things we need to know before we go for this blood test. So ideally men should abstain from, uh, from sex um, or ejaculation um, for about 48 hours before going for the blood test. Um, also avoid um, any anal thing that activity that could uh, affect the prostate as well because um, that can can in, can actually give you a false reading. And then it's just, as I say, a matter of going for the blood test. We, we don't like to use the rapid test. We want a proper full blood test so that we can actually get a reading. And that's, we then look at that um, PSA. It's not a cancer-specific test. Uh. It just tells us that something is wrong in the prostate. Often it, it could just, as I say, be an infection or enlargement. If it does come back high, often the doctors will, will do another test um, like a month later just to check if it's still high. And then if it is high, um, you'll be referred on uh, to a urologist to do further investigation. So that's the one test, the PSA blood test. The other test is what we call the digital rectal examination or the f- the dreaded finger, as men know it. And it's really not that big a deal. We do recommend men at least have it the first time because there's some very rare types of prostate cancer that don't actually cause an elevation in PSA. Uh, and we're going to miss those cancers if we're not doing that finger test. Uh, the finger test involves a doctor inserting a, a gloved and lubricated finger up the rectum and he's able to feel the actual prostate for any lumps or bumps or hardness and that gives an indication of whether there may be a problem or not. So if either of those tests come back um, abnormally high, then you'll be referred on to the urologist who will investigate further. So um, very simple. And as I said, when you're doing all your other blood tests, just ask your healthcare professional to include the PSA test. So men uh, from the ages of 40 should be going annually um, for all their, their different cardiovascular te- tests, checking the, the lipids or the fats in the blood and also checking your glucose level because diabetes is a major problem among South African men. Hmm. Ask your doctor, please include the PSA test to just check if there's anything uh, wrong with my, my prostate. Okay, so what I'm hearing you also say is that this can happen on an annual basis. That's what so we would recommend. Yeah, so every year. Yeah, please don't just go for one screening and leave it five <laughs> years because I have those guys phone me and then they've now got advanced prostate cancer because they never went back and had another check. Mm. So if you're doing it annually, we're going to pick up a problem um, very early and we, can have, and we can intervene and do something about it. When you were speaking about the dreaded finger, um, I think you called it the digital rectal something examination okay, yes the, the dre dre digital rectal examination you spoke about how this one can assist to determine the type of prostate cancer which then had me going oh are there different types of prostate cancers i thought it was just one thing no no sorry it doesn't um, distinguish different types of prostate cancer okay. it's just that there are some prostate cancers that don't cause an elevation in PSA. Ah, Most of them okay. do, but there's about 3%. Okay. Um, and we miss those okay. if we're not doing the finger, um, if we're just using the PSA test. The PSA test is not a perfect test. As I said, it's not, not a cancer-specific test. We, we're waiting for that day when we have a simpler test that actually tells us whether you have um, prostate cancer because that will uh, just make testing and screening much more efficient. Hundred percent, and I think it's important as well to be quite uh, open and almost transparent about the fact that this PSA um, is not—it's not prostate cancer specific, number one, but also that for the most part, it's not—it's not conclusive. 
That's what I'm hearing you saying. That's um, correct. So we say to men, don't panic. So if okay. the PSA comes back high, please don't panic. If your doctor then wants a second PSA before okay. he refers you on, that's fine. When it is abnormal or high, the second time, then you are going to be referred to your urologist who will, who will do further investigations. And, and essentially those investigations, um, the, the urologist will then take a thorough history from you. He is definitely going to do the finger. Guys, if you are too scared to go for the finger, then I always say to guys, please at least do the blood test. So okay. don't say, I'm not going to go for screening now because I refuse to have the finger. And a lot of guys have that mindset. Just do the blood test at least because we'll catch most of the cancers by just doing that blood test. So if you're so scared of the finger, don't do it. Okay. Once you get to the urologist, then he's going to investigate further. I'm going to ask a question that, <laughs> have we ever seen a situation where somebody uses the blood test or the prostate-specific uh, antigen test and the result is, is positive or it comes back indicating that there could be a chance that you know the person has got prostate cancer and then it turns out that they don't? Has that ever happened? That happens often. Okay. So often a, an elevated or a higher PSA reading will be due to other reasons. Typically an enlarged prostate, a condition we call benign prostatic hyperplasia. Okay, That's also a treatable condition and a frustrating condition for men because it causes those urinary s- symptoms that men have, the, okay. that sudden urgency to have to run to the okay. loo. You don't have a strong urine stream. So also a, a common condition of the prostate that needs to be treated. Um, and then not quite as often, um, but something that does occur is men can get an infection or an inflammation of the prostate. We call that prostatitis. Okay. And that needs to be treated with antibiotics. Okay. So as I said, that's what the urologist's job will be to, to try and find out um, is this a cancer or not? And now, fortunately, the next stage, we now have technology in terms of determining whether there is possible cancer growth within the prostate. We have what's called uh, multiparametric MRI scans that we can do, a, okay. a fairly new technology, which has really changed the way um, we can look at and diagnose prostate cancer before we have to move to the next stage, mm. which is a prostate biopsy. So often, and if, if it, the technology is available, the next thing that the, the uh, urologist will do after the examination will be the MRI to, to determine if there are suspicious areas within mm. uh, the prostate. And in the UK now, the MRI might mean you don't have to go for a, a biopsy if they, if they see there's, there's no um, suspicious areas within the prostate based on those scans. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking contextually about, about South Africa. And I hear you talk about how there, there, there aren't many urologists in the country, first of all. I remember I was speaking to, to a doctor in one of the other episodes, and they were sharing about how, I think, in the Eastern Cape, there's one urologist in all of the Eastern Cape who's based in Port Elizabeth, I think. I'm curious about, I mean, we're encouraging men to go and get screened. Um, and then we're saying to them, but at the same time, you might not be able to get the relevant specialist to assist you once you get um, you know, some kind of, of diagnosis or once that PSA test says this is the issue. Let's talk a little bit about that. So we're talking to somebody who comes from not a rural community, but who might be living in the township. Uh, they go off to a public facility. Uh, they get screened. Uh, the result comes out and it says, look, there is the possibility that you might have prostate cancer. Where, where to from there? So that's a challenge. Okay. Um, um, let's be perfectly honest. Our state healthcare facilities um, are under-resourced mm. and they battle with, we battle with long waiting lists. Yes. But I think eventually, hopefully you will end up uh, in the urology department. Fortunately, we're dealing, dealing with what is normally a slow growing okay. uh, prostate cancer. Although 
Um, the majority of men uh, who do present with prostate cancer in the state sector already have metastatic disease. Um, and that, at that point, they, when they're coming in, um, they're going to often need urgent um, assistance, but it also means that they will be referred very quickly to the urology department. So one of the things we see with advanced cancer is um, urinary retention, where the guy actually can't pee anymore. Mm. And, and that's a situation that needs to be dealt with very quickly. Um, but that will generally, they'll be escalated very um, quickly to your urology department. So you are correct. They are, you're going to probably have a long wait before you eventually get um, to urology. Um, but we would encourage men to hang in there because once you get into the urology department, they are able to, to offer assistance. Um, mm. Again, you might wait like quite long before you can have your biopsy and treatment, but you'll get there eventually. The cancer's often slow growing. Um, so hang in there. You just have to persist. We, we, we're trying to work with government to, to get more resources. Uh, as I said before, get more urologists um, and, and try and improve the situation. But that's a long-term uh, struggle that we have to deal with. Okay, so I think it's important to be to be open and transparent around it. But again, I think the overarching message being that we must get the screening done. Um, you know, this is that this shows up typically as a cancer that is, like you say, slow growing, etc. So don't let this deter you um, from doing the right thing. Uh, which is to go and to get screened and to try and get um, the help that you need. I'm curious about, uh, you know, infertility, and I think this is a big one. What is the impact of, of, of prostate cancer on, on male infertility? Okay, so I think before we get to infertility, we need to look at the next stages um, mm. in terms of if you are diagnosed with prostate cancer. So the, the diagnosis is, is really made by a prost prostate biopsy, mm. and, and that involves um, the doctor inserting a number of uh, needles into the prostate, removing some of the cells there. The cells are then sent off to a laboratory to be analyzed by a pathologist. Um. Um, and based on the pattern of the cells, they give what's called a Gleason score, which is an indication um, of how aggressive that uh, cancer is, how fast growing it's likely to be. In addition, they would have looked at your PSA score. So a very high PSA score is often also an indication of a, of a more aggressive cancer. Um, they would have, um, as I said, done the digital rectal, and they may have done some other scans. Um, if they think the prostate cancer is spread, they'll often do, uh, depending on the technology that that's available. Um, they'll often do a, band, a bone scan, a CT scan. In a private sector, you might have an MRI uh, where they'll look to see if that cancer is spread anywhere else in the body. Hmm. So we need to look at treatment separately in terms of for localized prostate cancer. That's prostate cancer that hasn't spread all around the body. The treatment options are, first of all, surgery, uh, where we can remove the whole prostate and the seminal vesicles. That's called a prostatectomy. Um, different ways of doing a prostatectomy. We now have um, fantastic technology uh, where we can use uh, robot, robots to actually assist the surgeon mm. um, to remove the, the prostate. So we have robotic prostatectomies available. Um, so surgery is the one option there. And then the other option is to use radiation. And with radiation, there's two different forms of radiation. We can use external beam radiation where you, you lie under a big machine and they kind of blast the prostate with these high-dose x-rays. Mm -hmm. And that destroys the, the cancer cells within the prostate. The other option is to insert um, tiny little seeds about the size of a rice grain into the prostate. We call that um, brachytherapy, seed brachytherapy, and that emits low-dose radiation over time and basically destroys those, those cells within the prostate. 
Remember that we said one of the functions of the prostate is to produce part of the fluid, mm. um, the seminal fluid. Seminal. Mm. So those treatments are basically going to prevent um, the prostate from producing those fluids, which means that um, there's going to be no ejaculate. So you're not going to be able to father a child um, after you've had those treatments. So um, the, there is, if you want to um, be able to do that, you're going to have to basically um, preserve sperm before the procedures. So, so it will end your uh, ability to be fertile. Okay. You'll also no longer be able to ejaculate. So we call that dry ejaculations. You may still have the sensation of orgasm, but you won't actually have ejaculate um, anymore if you've had a prostatectomy. Oh, it's quite it's quite something to process. So so just just two things, uh, you know, before we, we move on. So so what I'm hearing you say is if I've been diagnosed and or, or someone I know, <laughs> a male I know has been diagnosed with prostate cancer, they can still ejaculate and they can still potentially make children. But this is not but, but this is not possible after, um, you know, the surgeries or some of the so the prostatectomy and the radiation and all of the other ways in which we then would be able to, you know, get rid of the cancer. So after that, I'm not you know, the, the, the male would not be able to have a child. But potentially before that, if they've been diagnosed with prostate cancer, they typically are still able to make children, etc. Yeah, depending on what stage the, okay. the cancer okay. is, yeah. Okay. So, yes, after the treatments, they are going to be infertile and they won't, uh, they won't ejaculate. So we call it dry ejaculate. They'll still have, the, as I said, the sensation of ejaculation, but there will be nothing coming out, basically. And maybe just help me to understand the different stages then, because I think, you know, we know with cancers that they grade them, etc. Um, what are the severities of each stage, um, etc.? And, and even the question, can, can one die? Can, can, can having prostate cancer lead to death? Okay, so we've talked a bit about the localized disease. So mm. that's when the, the, the cancer is contained within the prostate, or we get what's called locally advanced prostate cancer. That's okay. when it breaks through the prostate capsule um, and it spreads uh, generally to the seminal vesicles first. So in that case, we would talk about a stage uh, three tumor. So we st when we do cancer staging, and it's the same pretty much for all cancers, we look at three things. We look at the tumor, the size of the tumor, um, whether it's spread out of the prostate um, or not. Um, we look at lymph nodes. So your lymph nodes, you have a lymphatic system in your body. Mm. Uh, kind of, it's a circulatory system that goes throughout your body and it, and it provides tissue fluid to the cells all over. And because it goes throughout the body, cancer cells can get into those lymph vessels and spread. We also have blood vessels. So if cancer gets into blood vessels, it can spread throughout the body. Mm. So once the cancer breaks through the uh, prostate, it can get into the lymph vessels or the blood system and start to spread. We call that metastatic um, cancer. Um, so in addition to the tumor, as I said, we look at the lymph nodes to see is it just the lymph nodes in the region or is it lymph nodes throughout the body. So once it's lymph nodes throughout the body, then it's classified as metastatic disease. Mm. And then the third thing that we look at is whether the cancer has spread and where it's spread to. Mm. So we look at um, metastases. So generally prostate cancer will spread to bone first. In most cases, it'll spread to bone. It can, as I said, spread to, to lymph nodes. And then we'll also look at whether it's spread to some of the soft tissue organs, things like your liver and your, your kidneys and your lungs commonly, but it can even spread to the brain, for example. So that's what we call advanced prostate cancer. Now, unfortunately, when it comes to advanced prostate cancer, there is no cure. Mm. We can only slow the progression of the cancer. We can't cure it. 
So if we look at what we call a five-year survival rate, that means when men are diagnosed and we look at the stage they're diagnosed with, how many will be alive after five years? Mm. If we catch this cancer and treat it in the early stages, after five years, 98% of men will be alive. That's why that phrase, early detection, is so important. Mm. If we look at um, advanced prostate cancer or metastatic disease and how many men will be alive after five years, it will be 30%. Yeah. 70% of those guys are going to be dead. Sure. And our treatments for advanced prostate cancer are completely different. So our treatments for advanced prostate cancer means taking testosterone away. That's your male hormone. Sure. And it's the only way to slow the progression of the cancer is to take testosterone away. And we can do that in two ways. Testosterone is made mainly in the testicles, so we can remove a man's testicles. We call that surgical castration. And we can use medical, we can use medications to take a man's testosterone away. That's called medical castration. Yeah. But what does testosterone do in the body? All those wonderful things that men enjoy. It gives us our, our, our sexual desire, it gives us our erections, gives us our muscles and our muscle strength and muscle mass, our drive, our energy. Um, it keeps our bones strong. So when we take remove testosterone from the body, the side effects can be quite devastating. So mm. men will experience hot flushes, they'll be more likely to put on weight, they'll lose muscle mass, they'll lose their, their sex drive, they'll lose their erections. Uh, so we've got to manage those side effects very very carefully, but it's the only way that we can actually prevent this uh, this cancer from, from progressing and growing. However, it eventually becomes resistant to those treatments. We call that castrate-resistant prostate cancer. And then we've got a few more, a few more options as well that we can use. And maybe just in terms of the data and to assist me, I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, actually, I must be honest. Um, somebody's listening to this and we've done more to kind of um, <laughs> elevate their fear, right? What are the incidences of this occurring where it gets to the place where, you know, one has to have their testicles and the rest of it removed? Do we see high incidences of this or is it rare? Unfortunately, in South Africa, because so many men don't have access to screening or they don't know about screening, the majority of um, cancers, prostate cancers in South Africa are already at the advanced stage. So in the state sector, most guys are coming in have, have advanced um, prostate cancer, unfortunately. And, and that's why it has, uh, it has such a devastating impact uh, on South African men. Guys who have access to, to private health care and are going for those checkups are, are much more likely to be diagnosed in the, in the early stages. So um, unfortunately, very common in South Africa still for men to come in with advanced um, prostate cancer and, and, and high, um, high numbers of guys dying from prostate cancer as a result. And maybe just to, you know, go back to where we began almost, where you spoke about the importance of awareness, so initi initiatives that raise awareness, etc. I'm well aware that there's something called the Daredevil Run, and simply because um, I was a part of it or involved at some point. You know, how important, wh one, where do people get access to information? I think that's an important one. Can we always trust the internet and what Google is telling us um, as it relates to information around uh, prostate cancer? But where else? Where else can we get a solid information that assists us to better understand exactly what the issue is or when to get tested, etc. Where do we go? So Prostate Cancer Foundation has a website with a huge amount of uh, information and it's just Prostate Cancer Foundation, www.prostatecancerfoundation.co.za. Uh, we also have a Facebook page. We, we do a lot of video interviews with medical specialists. We put out a lot of information out there. Prostate Cancer UK also has an excellent website with a lot of information. So information's there if men are really looking for it, but uh, try and go to a, a reliable source. In terms of awareness events, um, the whole lot data will run is a fantastic 
fantastic event because uh, over 2,000 guys participating every year, putting on a speedo, and you really, guys, it's not so embarrassing because everyone's got a speedo on. Mm. Um, and it's just an opportunity for, for us as Prostate Cancer Foundation. We are one of the beneficiaries together with cancer um, to get onto to national platforms, radio and TV, um, even though we're doing it in a speedo, to get out there and talk about prostate cancer and get guys uh, to be aware of, of, of this condition as well as testicular cancer. Mm. Um, so we also have a, a September's Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. We also run a thing called Suit Up September where we encourage people to buy a little sticker and choose one day in September to suit up, whether mm. it's with your work colleagues, whether it's with your sports club, uh, do a run in a, in a suit or, or play balls in a suit or do a soccer game in your suit, whatever. Uh, and, and it's just, again, an opportunity for guys to say, hey, we're aware of this condition. We mm. know we should be going for screening uh, and guys who have been affected, our prostate cancer survivors, to get out there and say, I've been on this journey. There is hope. So definitely not all doom and gloom because as men become more aware, they're more likely to go for, for screening it and screening means early detection, which means we can cure this cancer and beat it at the end of the day. 100%. And I think you almost had closing words there, but if I give you an opportunity just to wrap it up for us and, you know, one one statement, big, bold statement that you would issue to guys who are listening to the podcast, what would you say? I'd say, first of all, guys, let's just be more open about prostate cancer. So mm. let's uh, let's not pretend it doesn't exist. Let's talk about it. Um, guys who have been affected, please get out there and, and talk to other men, support them as well on their journey. Any celebrities ever um, who are affected, they can do so much good. And then get go for screening. This mm. is a cancer that we can cure if we catch it in the early stages. Um, so early detection is critical. 100%. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Uh, ladies and gents, that was once more Andrew Oberholzer, who is CEO of Prostate Cancer Foundation South Africa. And of course, for more information, we are saying you can check their website or any of their social media pages um, and certainly also go to credible sources uh, to get as much information as you can about this cancer. Uh, thank you so much, Andrew. Thank, thank, you, thank you very you. much for the opportunity. And thank to you. thank you as well for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the hashtag Faring Pod. Join the conversation by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube under Faring South Africa. Have you been diagnosed with IBD? Download the Faring IBD Health Diary app today. The Faring IBD Health Diary app is available on the Apple App Store and the Android Google Play Store.